Hello, and welcome to Morgan Latif Presents Coaching You Through Crisis. I'm Sam Latif, co-founder and director of Morgan Latif and your host. And this week, my guest is Dr. Neslin Watson-Drew. Dr. Neslin is an accomplished author in personal development and a renowned international speaker. She brings over 30 years uh, in leadership coaching and has won uh, over 25 awards for her work in the field. She works with leaders both in the public and the private sector to really help them find their inner light and their inner strength as she puts them to help them both professionally and personally. Most notably, she um, became chairwoman of the NHS in Kingston. She had a fascinating journey throughout uh, and her, for her work in the NHS, she was also awarded the MBE for nursing leadership and the CBE for health service information, uh, innovation. Um, we actually talked through her journey um, and really understand a little bit about how that experience was for her and link that to the topic that she also wants to discuss with us today, which is dealing with vulnerability. And she really gives us some good advice of how she used that to really find her own resilience and grit to sort of achieve the things that she achieves. So uh, it's a fascinating conversation. And uh, as always, I hope you find it valuable. So let's get into it. Good morning, Nesten. Thank you so much for being on the show. Good morning. Wonderful to be with you. Yes. Looking forward to having a good time with you today. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I appreciate um, your time. Um, and you know, you have a really uh, fascinating career. Um, typically, at the beginning of the show, I always ask a little bit about how you've been dealing with the lockdown. But I actually wanted to spend a little bit more time with you in particular going through your career. Uh, I said you, um, I, I, I mentioned it in the introduction, but um, I wanted us to said firstly go through a little bit about what your journey has been like from a professional perspective. Yes, and it has been an exciting journey. I came to England in 1969 to enter nurse education and to be trained as a nurse and to return to Jamaica as a public health nurse, which is what we call health visitors here. And in the requirements in Jamaica, in order to be a public health nurse, one also had to have at least a minimum of two years midwifery experience. And so the journey continued for me. I've had a wonderful life as a nurse, as a midwife, health visitor, and then health promotion officer. Um, and at the point at which I was ready to return to Jamaica, I met Peter, my husband, and of course the rest of that is history, as one can understand. And so I, after um, several years as a health promotion officer and then newly married, I decided that perhaps if children were to come along, it would be easier to have more flexible um, career opportunities. And so I retrained as a teacher. Of course, um, children never came along. I stayed um, in education for eight years. And then I returned to the health service. I returned to the health service as a senior nurse manager for continuing education. And that was a wonderful time. I, I had the opportunity where I applied for a post and uh, the HR director telephoned and said, Leslie, there's good news and bad news. Which do you want first? I said, okay, well, give me the bad and we'll finish with the good. And she said, the bad news is we won't be employing you for the job for which you have applied. But the good news is we want to um, employ you. And these are the parameters. Write the job description and tell us how much to pay you. Right. Wow. You know, it's just, just so wonderful. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I felt as if I was walking on water. Um, very successful within um, that post. Uh, after um, 
two and about two and a half years, a new manager came in. It was a joint um, appointment between the health service and education. And a, a new manager came in and said, Neslin, I find you threatening because you're black, you're a woman, you're intelligent, and I'm going to block you. And at the time, you know, if you've ever felt as if um, you, your, pressed, <laughs> your bottom had dropped out of your personal bucket, that's exactly how I felt. Yeah, but, you know, yeah. looking back, um, it was a gift um, because from there I went on um, to um, start my own business. I recognized that I was much too intelligent um, to be going around into um, the courts with her. And so I decided I would, would go and be an entrepreneur. I didn't even know the meaning of the word entrepreneurism as it were, but uh, I have been blessed. I have been really blessed. I developed a, a leadership development program for the National Health Service Executive. And what is it that drove me to do that? I thought, you know, what if this manager, if she had real leadership uh, development, if she understood leadership, how would she have treated me? Would she have been the same? Would she have, um, yes, would she have treated me differently? And so um, my, uh, I, I decided to really put my energy and to understand what is it that makes a good leader. And so I developed this leadership demonstration program for the National Health Service Executive. And uh, it ran as a demonstration program from 1993 to 2006. Blessed to say that uh, my work formed the foundations of um, the NHS Institute, which then um, uh, developed into the NHS Leadership Academy. So I, during that stage of running leadership development programs, I also ran um, career and uh, personal development programs for 22 of the multinationals in London, including the BBC. I developed a mentoring program for um, BBC Network Radio. And uh, and and it, my my work just blossomed mm -hmm. for the for the for the leadership development program. I uh, I got the MBE for nursing leadership and for that leadership development program, for the career development and personal development program, I received. Uh, a national training award from the government office of London. And uh, so Sam, I have been so blessed. I yeah. have been so blessed um, and highly favored, I can say. <laughs> yeah, and, and look, I mean, it, it said it's been a fascinating journey and I think this is why I, I sort of wanted to deep dive a bit more into it in, in our conversation. And I mean, you already touched upon it there a little bit about the prejudices that you faced at the beginning, but I was, again, interested to understand in the leadership positions you had, and especially when in, in kind of in the initial throes of your leadership career, particularly as a woman and a woman of color, I mean, what were the kind of challenges you were facing? I mean, how did you, and then how did you overcome those as well? Well, the, um, the challenges, it always appeared as if one had to work much, much harder. Mm. Um, it, 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 it was very um, difficult um, to be noticed as it were. And so having recognized that, I think I have always um, taken the opportunity that in everything that I do, I will, I will be my best. I will absolutely be my best and I will put all the energy in, in it 
um, to be so. I also learned that it is uh, at, at an early stage how important it was um, to um, develop good networks. And I found that yes, there is prejudice in the world, um, and I experienced that, but there's also a lot of love. And so I focus on, on the positive. So, you know, there's a universal law that says what you focus on expands. You know, th there are always people who are, uh, are going to be prejudiced, but you know something, Sam, I'm not going to give them my energy. I am going to focus on uh, what matters, the people who appreciate me, the people who love me, the people with whom I can work, they are the people that matter. And that's where I put my focus. And I, I say that now, you know, within my coaching, I, I, I still um, uh, get um, the, uh, the stories of prejudice, not only from people of color, you know, women, um, I work primarily um, in the civil service and I, uh, and and women, some of the women, um, depending on their stories, you know, they they will say, you know, it's it's hard to be noticed. And I said, you know, it's so important that you have sponsors, you have a, a wider network, and it's also important that you know your skills, you know your abilities, and you are able to sell it. So what I what I learned was really how to market myself and. And market myself effectively yeah and it seems like you, you killed them with kindness really right i mean the only way to sort of respond with somebody that has that negativity is you kind of have to outweigh that with with positivity and I, I think um we know yours has a happy story and i think as you said you you face those levels of discrimination but you work harder to to to, to um yeah overcome that um but again in the in that career that you know spans a number of years did you see has because now we're dealing, it seems like the conversation continues to be um, these uh, continued systemic and uh, institutional, not just racism, but also discrimination is said against women, there's a gender pay gap. Did you see that there has been progress from when you started your career? And again, you, you rightly said it there that somebody quite clearly said to you, we don't want to give you the role because you're a woman and you're black. Do you feel that as your career progressed, things have progressed? Do you think that there's also an element of that, that things are developing and given what you've seen in, in both the, the public and the private sector? Yes, things have developed. But you know something, um, we know that there, there are three steps forward and two steps backwards. <laughs> you know, three steps forward and one step backward until there's no step backwards. So yeah. that's how it is. But, you know, let me share a, a story um, uh, with you. And I won't um, say in, in which post this happened, but I... So I found myself in a very senior position, um, the leader of the organization, uh, like that. Okay, um, there was a very um, intelligent accountant um, who was, had very, very high capabilities. However, um, the, organ the, the people within the organization felt that they couldn't fully understand him and you know they they would say things like you know when he presents himself um you you, you can't fully understand but it was only his accent you know his his technical skills were brilliant um 
and his accent was not that difficult if you're really listening. Um, so cut a long story short, um, there was the opportunity for him to become the head accountant, as it were. And uh, when I spoke um, with some of the others, I recognized that he was not going to get the job. And so with my own, you, when you talked about killing people with kindness, with my own personal money, I ensured that um, I gave him a number of um, psychometric tests and gave him feedback from that and actually sent him off to see a coach um, to prepare him because I certainly couldn't prepare him. It wouldn't be right um, to prepare him for a, an interview. And uh, cut a long story short, he got the job and it was one of the best things that actually happened for the organization because he transformed how things were done and he actually transformed outcomes. So I don't know what you will take from that. Um, I do feel that we are not yet there within our organizations, private and public. Mm -hmm. I do feel that we need to have um, wide diversity at the top. We need, and people who, who really understand others in, in different ways, because when you have a whole team of people who are all the same, there will always be blind spots. Absolutely. I don't know if I've made sufficient sense of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and look, again, we're an executive search firm and we know that I think we're seeing this shift change of, uh, again, people really, hopefully really enacting real change when it comes to diversity um, and trying to readdress that balance. Because also there's, there's, there's scientific evidence that definitely suggests that when you have different viewpoints from different perspectives of just life, that people come up with better solutions in, again, in, in, in that perspective. And um, you also, uh, I mean, the NHS now, for example, is, is an example of all these nationalities. I mean, it, again, it's, it's a public health um, institution in, in the UK, but it, it brings together all these different nationalities. And only now we're really appreciating it in the UK, but again, it's, it's well known across the world. But I was curious to understand also, again, from your experience, right? You, you've been um, reached leadership positions in the NHS. Is there any lessons of how the NHS has brought, to, and it's a huge organization with, again, a, there's no doubt it has its issues, but also you see the appreciation people have for it now following this issue with, with Corona. Do you think there's any lessons that I think the private sector can take from the NHS um, when it comes to leadership, for example, in the private sector? To some extent, because the NHS still hasn't got it right as yet. The NHS has done a lot of work in terms of um, race development. The policies are there. Are the is the implementation there in every organization? No. But the fact still remains that uh, the NHS is outstanding in terms of its leadership in saying, you know, race matters, hmm. equality matters. and um, it, it, it has the, the, uh, the policies and, uh, and structures 
to deal with it. But again, it comes down to individual organization. Do you have the leadership within the organizations to implement it? Because you know, um, the organization is only going to be as good as the leadership as it were. And you and I know that when we look worldwide on all the most successful companies, all the most successful companies um, have diversity in its very widest sense, complete. Absolutely. And I was also interested to know, because you performed a turnaround in the NHS where, um, again, you were given this leadership position and people didn't really, I remember when we talked before, they really didn't think you would be able to turn that organization around and you turned a profit. I wanted to see if you could tell us the story a little bit about how that occurred and why people didn't believe you could do it and then how you ended up doing that uh, afterwards. Well, uh, okay, so here we are. We actually found ourselves... Um, in, in financial difficulties. And um, <laughs> again, the leadership is very important there, isn't it? So, and one moment, say, say today's a Friday, um, uh, we have our board meeting, and at the board meeting, the financial um, uh, information and uh, everything um, certainly was in order. You know, I went off. And the chief executive rang me by the Monday to say, we are in um, financial difficulties. We have a six million pounds um, deficit. So, you know, so how did, we, how did we end up with a six million pound deficit between Friday and Monday? Um, it meant that the, there were parts of the organization that was keeping two ledgers. The, the ledger that came, the financial information um, that came to the board was different to the financial information that went somewhere else. So, uh, of course, you can recognize that actually heads had to roll. Mm. Okay. So, and, and it was a time when once you are in difficulty, um, every day the, um, the, the, the interest keep rising. And so a six million pound deficit became a 21.5 million pound deficit. So, so at this point where it was, let's say in its twenties then, um, changing things around, uh, the whole point is, as we know, the, um, this, <laughs> the minds that created the problems, it won't be the minds that actually solve it. Uh, you know, um, I dismissed the whole board and, and so a new, appointed a new board and a brilliant chief executive with whom I could work and who also had, um, uh, he, he was also um, an accountant and, and also had good commissioning experience. So he, he was just the right person actually. And it was his first chief executive um, post. And, you know, appointed the, the right set of non-executives and I remember saying to um, the board, this new board, no, we will turn this around within two years. And they said, no, it can't be done. <laughs> um, but I said, you know, I said, okay. Um, and the whole point about um, the leader, a leader actually has to have the vision and really hold that vision. I said, okay, I am not the person here um, with this, the, the financial skills, but I do know that um, if what I want you to do is to create a dashboard for me that me as a non-financial person can actually understand. And we will keep a very close eye on this dashboard. We will hold the vision. We will re uh, work towards um, recon 
constructing our services, redeveloping our services in the highest and best ways, and, and also aiming for all of our services to be better. And we did it, and we did it in two years, um, and, and end up um, with a profit at the ending of the two years. So I think the key lesson for me uh, in leadership is don't listen to the naysayers. When people say it can't be done, hold the vision because you know the universe once you say yes to life once you say yes to the universe the universe will find all the ways to support you to achieve it yeah that's great and and i think that also leads us nicely into what kind of the broader topic of what you want to discuss was, was the vulnerability and how would we deal with vulnerability because i think that also requires leaders but i think everyone in general to sort of you know, kind of hold strong in, in times where we feel kind of the external environment uh, sort of, you know, pushing down on us. And and none more so, I said that at the moment, not only with the global pandemic that uh, is still going on, but again, just being kicked in the gut again with the, the kind of same um, yeah, racial and systemic issues that we've uh, been talking about, it seems like for decades. Um, so, uh, firstly, I wanted to talk about, I mean, for you, why was it important to address this topic about uh, vulnerability? What do you think is the value of understanding vulnerability also in, in leaders today? I, vulnerability um, for me is very much about that opportunity, that a strength to bounce back, the resilience um, to bounce back. Um, from um, difficulties, um, uh, from stress, um, from adversities, and and so it's 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 needed today. Um, that that resilience um, to bounce back, and I recognize that um, we we're all vulnerable uh, the, the 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 current situation that we have in terms of the virus is no respecter of persons is it yeah absolutely <laughs> so so um we're all very um vulnerable and how we cope with vulnerability will depend on our personality will depend on um our skills our experiences our resources so a whole host of things so you're, we're right there in the matrix of things and um it's uh it's important for leaders to recognize that um People are vulnerable, whether you're in the public, private, uh, or voluntary uh, sector organizations, leaders need to recognize that vulnerability. So even if we were to take a small slice of it, um, so most of us are, are working um, from home. Some people have um, better um, environmental conditions from which to work and others it's a squeeze even when you know listening to the broadcast on radio you hear some of the presenters say oh yes i'm in my office up in the attic and so, something like that you know and so and and if you are uh, if you have a young family uh, and you had the infrastructure of um the nurseries or even helping the home whichever whichever way but how do you do a full-time job with uh, 
a young family at home. And especially if you don't have a, a garden and if the house isn't large, you know, so, so we have all those complexities are, that we're dealing with. People, people are dealing with very complex lives and it takes a toll on mental health. So one thing I also wanted to ask is that, you know, um, should, should we internalize this, as this feeling of, of vulnerability and then again work within ourselves to then make ourselves more resilient? Or is this something that we can also externalize, be vocal about, speak to our friends or leader or managers or whoever it is that we have uh, around us so that we can also help in, in again, turning that, that, um, that feeling into one that, that pushes us forward and allows us to be, as I said, more gritty and, 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 and forceful with getting the things that we want. What is your suggestion around that? We do both. Uh, you work you work from the inside out and you know so so that's one part of it and the second part of it is um, you articulate out uh, in your external environment you ask for what you want you express you know because um, it's, it's, it's no point just bottling things up um, you also uh, need to be engaged um, and, and, and engage um, verbally um, uh, engage in asking for what you want in, you know saying I need help uh, or this isn't working for me uh, this uh, I, I, I need this to be redesigned or whatever so so putting putting it out there uh, is very important so you you notice how the, the country really shifted I'm talking about here in UK um, when um, Prince Andrew, when, when, when um, the royal family, members of the royal family started to talk in, talking about mental health, mm -hmm. you know, people then became much more vocal. Organizations um, and, and the charitable organizations were very thankful, you know, um, that, you know, Prince Harry was talking about his own vulnerabilities. So, yeah, yes, we need to articulate it. Uh, we need to ask for help. And we also need from work from the, the inside out because it's the work from the inside out that builds our personal resilience. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think you see it now, right? I think, again, if you look at people that might be considered more vulnerable in, in certain situations, mm -hmm. like, again, people of color, women, now that people are discussing topics around race, uh, gender relations, et cetera, there seems to be a little bit more awareness and people are now more comfortable with saying, look, this is not something I feel comfortable with. And then they're addressing change to enact that, right? Um, do you feel like that there's also, I don't know, is there also specific advice? Because it, it's not just, again, for those that are can it, quote unquote more vulnerable than others, but it's about everybody having a, a yeah, consensus that um, when people do feel more vulnerable than others, that we should address it to make it a little bit more um, of an environment where people can seek help and again, seek out solutions. But um, is there anything specific that you also recommend, again, just um, the, given the myriad of organizations you've seen, both public and private, in terms of what organizations can do to build out an environment that allows for people to speak and be aware of, of, um, of these kind of issues? Yes, I, uh, I do believe uh, that um, the leadership within the organization need to be very clear about 
what do they want the organization and the company, how do they want the organization and the company to be? Uh, what is the major purpose of that organization and that company? How do they want it to be? And then to think about the, uh, the, the skills and that they need. And, when, and so then once you decide on the skills that you need to actually take um, the organization to the pinnacle of where it needs to go, is then to uh, appreciate the divine feminine and the divine masculine. You know, I, 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 it's, it's so, we, we talk about um, equality and I passionately believe um, in equality and in equality is about getting that compliment, getting it right, getting it right, getting, uh, you know, so because, you know, Sam, when I look at you and I can actually see um, the divine, the divinity within you, and you can appreciate the divinity within me, and and then we have an understanding of what is it we are in this organization to build and to achieve and to deliver and to accomplish. Then it's a different conversation. So um, we see a lot that is happening here now in in terms of worldwide about black lives matter and so you and you'll get pushed back against that i want to see the utopia i don't know when we'll get there but i i, I want to see the day when we are appreciative of the other and the gender is not the issue and the color of the skin is not the issue the issue is what are we here to create and to co-create what are we here to aspire to that's that's where i want the conversation to be i want the inequalities to be identified and addressed and i want us to begin to see the the divinity within the other and that will only come from having a love of self and then a love of the other you know i can't appreciate you until i appreciate myself i can't love you until so within this matrix that we are in where there is such a lot of self-hate um, when we look at um, the way, you know, you have to have the perfect body, you have to have the perfect this and the perfect that, the subliminal message is don't like yourself. Mm. I probably am taking it a different, in a different way, but yeah. that's just part of my being as well. Yeah. No, look, I, I think overall, um, you know, if the message is for people to sort of allow them to be themselves more at work, um, I think that's also certainly a fair and certainly a, 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 a very ideal uh, suggestion for everyone right because i think sometimes people feel like they have to and again uh, if you look at minorities and again or, or other people that i think um go into a workplace and they feel they have to fit a certain mold i mean you get hired for who you are and you should be able to do a job comfortable with who you are um and if you can do that job that should be that that's the criteria right you have to be able to get along with everybody so i think overall the message which i get is um one that we should be able to be ourselves and leaders should promote people being themselves with but, and being respectful of one another 
uh, and being able to appreciate the person who's next to you, regardless of race, creed, or color. Um, I'm not, and, and, I'm, sexu and sexuality, you know, uh, because, and you know, love is love. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, so uh, you know, why, why should I judge a person who, um, who expresses a love um, for his or her own gender. You know, love is love, cosmic love supreme. If we were all practicing cosmic love supreme, you know, we would get rid of all the trauma, we would get rid of all the difficulties. So, you know, love is love. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And again, that, power. That's, that's a message that's also hard to filter down when it, when it, when it yeah. goes across a number of different organizations but i think overall you know i do feel more positive about the future because you see young people standing up you said not just for race but as you said um equal rights regardless of gender sexuality um even like uh, you know age or you know there's loads of i think issues that i think people that are in the new generation that are being um made aware regardless of obviously some of the downfalls of what we think of technology, et cetera. So um, I think overall, I think I, I would be positive in that those changes will come. Um, I want to also then just finish off with maybe what also is your kind of final um, takeaways. I think particularly not just for um, those that are, again, dealing with a certain level of vulnerability in these times, but I think for everyone in general, just given the times where there's going to be, again, huge societal change that I think, or, that, that occurs because of what's, what's going on in the world right now. What is your suggestion to leaders in particular um, to really help uh, bring or kind of embrace this kind of wave of change that's coming? Um, so what would I, I, I say to leaders to embrace the change that, that is coming? Um, I'd say to leaders have a vision for an inspiring future. And actually having that vision for that inspiring future, I think I would just um, quote Joel Baker, the, uh, the futurist who says, you know, vision without action is only a dream. Mm. Action without vision passes the time. But action with vision can change the world. So what do, what do you aspire to uh, and what is it what is the shared vision for the organization for your company and based on that shared vision then take action and and so when so if we come in, coming back to something that we spoke about we spoke about um um issues of equality and we said you know what could others learn from the nhs you know to have to have the right policies is not enough to have the policies and take action on the policies and monitoring what is working and addressing what is not working that is actually true leadership so walk the talk mm. right well perfectly said I think, again, that's a great way to end it. Um, Nestlin, say thank you so much uh, for being on the show. I really uh, appreciated listening about your story and, and again, your, your uh, advice, particularly, I said, on, on dealing um, throughout these times and these vulnerable times, should we say. But, um, yeah, I appreciate you being on the show and I hope to speak to you again at some point. Indeed. Thank you. And stay safe. <laughs> you too.